In fact, in Deuteronomy 12, verse 10, it says, But when you cross over the Jordan, God here is speaking to, through Moses to the people of Israel before they will go into the promised land. When you cross over the Jordan and dwell on the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there, shall, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. We know that ultimately would be, ultimately would be Jerusalem. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Oh, powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Referring back to Moses' time in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 10, God promised the nation of Israel to ultimately supply them with a home, which would eventually be Jerusalem. During David's reign, God would fulfill his promise by establishing a permanent and secure Israel. God promised this first because he knew that David, being a godly shepherd, was first concerned about the welfare of his people. God also promised David that he would build him a house in the sense of establishing a dynasty for the house of David. This was an enduring legacy of David's throne long after his death. Now here's Pastor Rob. Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, The son of David. And he said to them, How then does David say in the Spirit, Call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And if David calls him Lord, how is he then his son? And he challenges them on, based on the psalm we just read in Psalm 110. Certainly he was David's descendant. But what he's saying right here is, I'm much more than just David's descendant. I'm the progenitor of David. I am the originator. I am, when it says, the Lord said unto my Adonai, that, that's Jesus. God the Father said unto Jesus, sit until I make your enemies your footstool. Sit at my right hand. And he was pointing and claiming deity in front of these very religious men. Very important. And what happened also in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 When the angel came to Mary, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, Mary, the angel said to her, and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Give the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for a couple weeks. No, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom There will be no end, no end in sight for this kingdom, the Davidic covenant. And finally, in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus speaking here, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. 
reminding them again of the Davidic covenant and that he is the summation of it. He will be the one. I would encourage you to write off the side to this chapter, 1 Chronicles 17. 1 Chronicles, much of what we're reading in 2 Samuel, from this going forward, there's going to be a parallel account in 1 Chronicles. But write down 1 Chronicles 17 because it's pretty much verbatim what we're reading right now. So we don't even need to read it because it's pretty much the same. So let's go back to verse 1 again. It says, Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house after all of this, The Lord had given him rest around all of his enemies, and what a blessing to have rest, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside curtains. And again, I can't help but wonder if David is just sitting there on his bed and thinking about all that God had done, all that God is, he doesn't even know exactly yet. We're going to get to that. He's just thankful that he's got, you know, the Lord made him king over Israel. You know, fulfilling those prophecies. I'm not even sure David was aware of his, uh, his complete understanding of his role in this whole thing. Maybe as time went on, but, you know, through him would come the Messiah. I wonder how much of that he really, really got. It may have taken, taken some time, but in this beginning of his ministry, I'm not sure. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because God is faithful even when we are clueless. Amen. I love the fact that God knows what he's doing when I don't have a clue of what I'm doing. That makes him God. That makes me his subject. That makes me his servant. And I'm so glad to be his servant, aren't you? Is there anyone greater to serve than Jesus? I mean, I love him, and I know that you love him. And I would encourage you to serve him with all of your heart. And whatever it is that he puts on your heart, you do it with all of your heart and serve him and let him bless you. Let him bless you. But I can't help but wonder, as he's sitting there and then... You know, from his own lips, he says this, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside curtains. Maybe it wasn't a feeling of guilt that overcame him because he's looking at the disparity between his dwelling place and the dwelling place of the ark of the covenant, which was the very presence of God. And he's thinking to himself, hmm, maybe he was feeling a little guilty. Or maybe it had nothing to do with guilt at all. So then Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And this sounds like a very good thing to Nathan. And notice that he didn't inquire of the Lord either as to whether it should be done. David didn't inquire, neither did Nathan. And why? Because it is a very good idea. It's a really good idea. I can't imagine God would say no to this. Lord, should I help that elderly woman who's a, who her cane is kind of wobbling and, and she's going and it's wet outside or maybe it's icy outside and she's going across the street and you can see her thing slipping a little bit. And, you know, I can't imagine that not being a good thing. In that case, it probably is a very good thing to go help her. But notice David and Nathan, they never inquired of the Lord. It was a really good idea. And now they're on this buzz, if I can use that, because now they've brought the, the ark into the Jerusalem. The, his, his house is done, or is, is close to being done. And he's sitting there in, in relative peace, and he's like, oh, finally. This is a really good idea. And he just goes ahead and does it. And Nathan gets caught up in that jubilation. And I can't blame him either. That's a really good idea. It is. It's a good idea. 
But when we make an assumption that something is good to do, we feel like we don't need to pray or ask the Lord. But, it, but this proves that that is not the case. We should never assume, and we all do that. I, I make assumptions all the time, and I assume that they're right on with the Lord, and, 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 uh, and many times they are not. And certainly this is one of them for David. But notice in verse 4, But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And I find it interesting here that the Lord spoke, could have spoken to David directly, couldn't he? Couldn't he have spoken to David while he was on his bed and planning? I mean, David was, uh, he was a, a very uh, aggressive guy. As soon as he heard word from Nathan that that was a good idea, do it, David. I'm certainly David sitting there. I'm back on his bed, and he's sitting there thinking, man, I'm going to do this, and I, I, I can't wait to talk to the carpenters tomorrow morning because we're going to build. It's going to be the best thing since sliced bread. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. And he, God could have spoken to David and interrupted him, but I wonder if the Lord was, like, blessed by sitting there listening to David's musings. I wonder if that's why it took a little while for God to speak to Nathan. And he spoke to Nathan, the prophet, because Nathan was David's seer, and it was right for him to do that. God could have spoke to David directly, but he used Nathan, the prophet, who should have listened to the Lord, or at least communed with the Lord. Maybe they both should have had a little prayer service. Maybe they should have got together, but they didn't. And again, I probably wouldn't have either, honestly. I would have just gone headlong into this. But notice that the reply from God didn't come immediately, but rather it took, it took place later in the evening. And so finally God tells Nathan, Go and tell my servant, thus says the Lord, Why would you build me a house to dwell in? Notice this phrase, go and tell my servant David. You know, before God lets him down, before God lets him down, he affirms his faithful servant. God wasn't upset with David. But notice what he tells the prophet to do. He didn't tell him to go, you know, David, forget about it. You're not going to be the one, so stop dreaming about it. Stop wasting your time. Did he upbraid him for this? No, he says, go and tell my servant David. David, you are a servant, but there's some things you don't understand. There's some things that you don't understand, but David, I love you for the thought of it. I really do, and I'm so thankful, but I don't need a house. The heaven of heavens can't contain me. I'm not worried about a house. I never wanted a house. I never asked for a house. But this is the kind of interesting, too, because usually the greater is the one who provides for the lesser. And would David, who was created by God, build a house for God, who is the greater? Not likely. But again, he didn't fault David because it was a good thing, but it was also something that wasn't required of by the Lord. So back in our text, verse 6, it says, For I have not dwelt in a house, God says, since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but I've moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever have I moved about with all the children of Israel that I've ever spoken a word from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? See, God, Jehovah, is not like anyone else. Any other God, lowercase g, would have demanded that his subjects build him some great monument, but, but some great monument, but it's not to be so with God. The true God of all creation is very comfortable. He's very secure in who he is. He didn't come to earth in some kind of pompous parade and demanding riches and honor and glory. 
but rather the angels announced his birth to shepherds in a field in Bethlehem came and they and they and came without great fanfare without great pomp and circumstance the king of all creation came humbly he was born in a cave and was laid in a feeding trough for the animals the king of all creation And even though the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein, even though he is God of the universe, he never demanded gold and large buildings to dwell in, even though he's the only one who deserves it, right? But right now, brothers and sisters, right now in heaven, God is worshipped with great fanfare and with great jubilation. Our brothers and sisters who've gone before us, the angels and those four living creatures, they are all worshiping God, waiting for us to arrive. And it probably seems like just a moment for them before we arrive. They will feel like they've just gotten started and the rapture will occur and we'll be together and we will join that fray. But in the hearts of Christians and the churches all across the world, Jesus is worshiped with great reverence. Yet he came in a humble and non-ostentatious way. I love what it says in Zechariah 9, verse 9, that rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you on a stallion with 44 magnums. No, does it say that? No, it says that he came on a donkey. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. Kings would come into towns on a riding on a horse, but coming in on a donkey is a sign of peace, not of, con- not of a conquering general. He's coming back as a conquering general. And when he does, it's going to be a whole different story. But he came back as the meek and mild Jesus. He humbled himself. He humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man and being found in the presence and the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient even to the point of death, even to the death of the cross, which is the most humiliating form of capital punishment known to man at that time. But there was no form or comeliness about Jesus that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's who our humble Jesus is. Why are you building me a house? I don't need a big house. Have you heard my beginnings? (laughs) David, you don't know this, but about a thousand years from now, I'm going to become incarnate. My son is going to come incarnate into one of your descendants, Mary. She's a virgin. And she's going to give birth to me, and nobody's going to have room for me at the end. I'm going to give, she's going to give birth to me in a cave and then stick me in a feeding trough where the cows and the sheep were just slobbering all over. They're going to put hay in it and put me in it. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, literally strips of cloth, rags. Do you think I need a big place, David? I love your heart, though. Love your heart, David, but I don't need it. I don't need it. 
Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and notice lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Such an interesting paradox. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, not concerned about a house. He's fine wherever he's at. He doesn't need any of that. So back in our text in verse 8, Now therefore, God says, Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold. Notice, God took him out of the sheepfold from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Notice that David didn't put himself in that position. God called him to be ruler over his people. God is the one who did it. David did not call this upon himself. He didn't presume this upon himself. And notice verse 9, And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off your enemies from before you. I have made your name great, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. And moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. God had a specific place in mind when they came through the desert, through across the Jordan, into the promised land, God had in his mind's eye Jerusalem. It would be there that he would place his name. In fact, in Deuteronomy 12, verse 10, it says, But when you cross over the Jordan, God here is speaking to, through Moses to the people of Israel before they would go into the promised land. When you cross over the Jordan and dwell on the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there, shall, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. We know that ultimately would be, ultimately would be Jerusalem. And there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, all the choice offerings which you vow. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, your sons and your daughters, your servants, the Levites within your gates. Take heed to yourself and do all that I command you. So verse 11, he says, Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies... And I love this. The Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Wow, Lord, that's really amazing. Is it going to be a split-level ranch? Or is it going to be a three-story? Is there going to be an exercise room? Is there going to be a room at the top where there's a big pool with the edge that goes out to the skyline right over the edge so it looks like I'm swimming out you know, off the edge of the cliff? You know, What's it going to be like? But God's not talking about a physical dwelling place. He's talking about a house of... Rulers, a house of kings, ultimately would find its summation in Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the son of David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, notice what God says, I will set up your seed after you. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. So now we know he's speaking of Solomon, correct? And I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So now, I believe that this is a play on words, because certainly it is speaking of Solomon, but it's also speaking of Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. That's why I brought up Genesis 3.15. 
Because see how you see the picture going all the way back from, well, from your perspective, looking at me, from Genesis all the way up until now, and then looking forward into the future. The seed of the woman through the line of David, all the prophecies of the Old Testament. See, David was not to build the temple. The Lord spoke to him, and you might want to write this down in the margin of your Bible there. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6. Let me read it to you. So David, as he's speaking to Solomon, he called his son Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. So there's the reason. It wasn't because David's heart wasn't right. His heart was right. But God says, David, you can't build me a house. You've got a lot of blood on your hands. And it doesn't record for us whether that was spoken by Nathan or whether it was something that was spoken after the fact. Maybe Nathan gave him a little more information afterwards. Maybe David inquired, why, Lord? And maybe Nathan came back to him and said, David... It's because you have blood on your hands. Your heart is wonderful, but you can't build me a house. But your son will build me a house. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, notice, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Now, this is interesting because Solomon did commit iniquity, didn't he, in in his reign. But yet there is no mention of him receiving the rod of men and the blows of the son of men. Is there? You know who I believe he's speaking of here? Again, speaking of the physical right in front of him, certainly Solomon, but he's speaking of Jesus Christ because who ultimately is the seed of David? Who ultimately is the son of David? Even though Jesus didn't commit any iniquity, the Bible says that he laid upon him the iniquity of us all, and he was the one, Jesus was the one, who would receive the rod of men and the blows of men. He was the one who received the judgment. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 tells us all about that. And Isaiah 53, Surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. And then in verse 7 it says, He was oppressed. And afflicted, he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And at the end of verse 8, it says, He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. That's the reason for the transgressions of my people. And at the end of verse 12, he says, He is poured out. He poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. It wasn't Solomon that would receive the blows. It was about a thousand years later, or 900 and some years later, that Jesus, the son of David, would receive those blows on the, on the, road, on the, uh, on the cross at Calvary.
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.